0: Welcome to
1: the Truth to Power Show and Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host VGR Nathan, and this is um, this is a special edition uh, with uh, Jessica Hines, co-host Jessica Hines of Meditative Writing. Thank you. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Good, good. So our guest today is um, Phil Giordano. Um, let's see. Phil is a filmmaker originally from New York who has lived in uh, Southeast Asia for the last six years, specifically Singapore. He received an MFA from New York University Tisch School of the Arts in Asia. Immediately after graduating, he accepted a contract to work as a director at one of the top production companies in Singapore. While there, they were nominated for a production agency of the year. Since then, Phil has, been won, uh, has won two commercial directing awards, directed commercials for KFC, um, Universal Music, and Porsche, as and a recipient of the 2017 Hollywood Foreign Press Association Award. Uh, his NYU uh, thesis film, Support, has uh, had its uh, world premiere at the 21st uh, Busan International Film Festival and its U.S. premiere at the Academy Award Qualifying Florida Film Festival. Um, Spot won the first prize Wasserman Award at the New York University First Run Film Festival. He's current, uh, yeah, so welcome, Phil. Yes, thanks for
3: having me.
1: Thank you, thank you for being here. Um, So why don't we start a little bit about your personal journey? So, you know, we met in New York and Staten Island, uh, you grew up in Staten Island, and yeah. uh, uh, we you were you born also in Staten Island, or? Say that again? You were born in Staten Island as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I lived then,
3: there my whole
1: life. Yeah, and then <laughs> you decided to go to uh, Asia to pursue a uh, MFA. So tell us a little bit about kind of how, growing up in Staten Island, what the decision was to, uh, you know, do this big, big life change, big journey to leave the country and go uh, learn somewhere else, you know? And you've been living there since?
3: Yeah, I was Yeah, yeah, I've been here for quite a while.
1: yeah,
3: um, yeah it was pretty spontaneous. I uh, it kind of just all hit me at once, you know. Um I was applying to film school and um I really wanted to go to NYU. I mean, just so bad. Um, I just a lot of the filmmakers that went there, um, I just like loved the stuff they were making and I just it, it, like I was just kind of like obsessed with it. And um I got put on the wait list for New York. So I was just kind of, like, sitting around waiting (laughs) for someone to, like, choose a different school. And um, I realized, like, like I knew some people. They had a campus in Singapore as well. And I knew some people um, that were there. And Well, not not that were there, but someone kind of recommended. um, uh, A friend of mine knew um, some of the professors. And she had told me about the program and, like, how it's, you know, it's just a different environment, and it's, like, um, smaller, like, um, almost like a summer camp, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone really uh, rallies for each other, and um, it's very intimate. And um, I realized, like, I really needed a change. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Um, so it was almost like a blessing, you know? I had this, right around that time, uh, the films I was watching were just so different, you know? I had always kind of just watched, like, Hollywood films, and then, Like right around that time, I was watching like all these great independent films, and like you know films from like all over. Um, And I was like, wow, I really need to change my worldview. So um, I just asked them if I could like redo the (laughs) redo the interview process like with the Singapore campus, and um, it all we hit it off. And uh, I just like a week and a half later, I was like in Singapore.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So how did your passion for film develop over the years? Like, what what were you watching as a child and and what did you grow into? You mentioned a little bit about growing into independent and and different kinds of films. Go a little bit more into that and your life in films, if you will.
3: I, you know, I think I watched like what everyone watches, uh, like you know, just like the major films. But um, obviously, like coming from Staten Island, like a lot of Italian uh, <laughs> influence. Like I always loved The Godfather and um, like Goodfellas and. Um, yeah, you know, just like the like Jaws, you know, like just like the stuff that everyone like loves. Um, I, I guess one thing that's a little controversial. If I hate, like, I hate Marvel films, like, <laughs> oh yeah, and like comic book movies, like, I'm not really like a fan. <laughs> like, I think besides Batman, that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was always kind of into like just you know normal mainstream stuff, and then I started watching like um, later on. I started watching like films like Harry Fuganaga that were, like, like Sin Nombre that just, like, blew my mind. And then, like, Steve McQueen, and then I, I got on, put on to some other, like, um, like, Steve McQueen, the British director. And then I eventually found Guillermo Mendoza, the Filipino director, and that, like, kind of cracked everything open for me, where I was just, like, holy, holy, holy shit, you can, like, holy, like, you can make films like this, like you can be so wildly different than, like, what kind of traditional film is like, you know? So.
1: mm mm-hmm. So yeah, go a little bit more into that. like um what was the um like when you started to watch these films and you started to can you give me an example of one film that really changed your viewpoint or was something that was really strong emotional, you know, resonance with you like and and how go a little bit more into that or like what just select one film and see how like how what effect it have yeah. on your um uh, yeah. Sure. Um so yes, yeah, so Sin Nombre. It's
0: um
3: Terry Fogonaga's first film. It's his NYU thesis film. And when you hear it's like a thesis film. You think it's a small production, but it's just massive, um, like a one Sundance. dance. And it's about, like, these like, Honduran and Mexican um, uh, basically, like, riding the, riding the trains into, in, through Mexico into America, riding the tops of these trains. It's, like, so dangerous. Like, all the, the trees and the speed and everything and um, the gangs. And, um, like the world was just like crazy. It was just like, so it takes you inside the world of this gang. And then also like this one character who's like basically trying to escape it. And, um, yeah, it was just, that's the kind of stuff I like to make, you know, like, or a world is just like blows your mind. Like you can't believe like what you're seeing. Mm. Um, you kind of get like an inside glimpse into something like you're kind of not supposed to, um, and then, But also has, you know, like a character that has like a really strong desire. Um, and then like they, they go after it like ferociously. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, this
1: kind of leads into what makes a good story and how, you know, quote unquote, mainstream movies differ from these kinds of movies are in their storytelling. Or if you believe that there's uh, one model or there's many models or how many models or, you know, what makes, a, what makes the heart of a really compelling story. <clears throat> what do you think?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like where we've ended up. We're mm. so far away from like caring about like story. I think like they care they care so much about so, a lot of other things, like what like fans want, or like what like putting people in something, <laughs> mm. or or like uh, maybe a little too much with genre or. Um, you know, like just hit, doing that—that that structure, the that three act structure. So it's like for me, like you know, it comes from character. It comes from like, like they're super objective, and you know, you know when like if something feels right, it comes from somewhere organic, mm. um, which like TV is nailing, and like just like I don't know, they're there's a lot of films right not to judge because actually like i, I do know some of the people that write those films like those big pole films and they, they're aware of it also it, it you know it's complicated because it's like this is what like audiences want also you know it's like they want to relax they want to enjoy themselves um so it's uh you can't i, I you know i, I never want to like preach or anything because the people that write those films are like brilliant you know <laughs> um so yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah it seems so like
1: uh, it, yeah, it seems like um you know that uh there's a balancing act between audience expectations and and creating an organic story where the things um the events of the film and the and the instead of just tantalizing with a bunch of explosions or something like that it seems to be you know a balancing act because you know a lot of these movies sometimes are just genre conventions as opposed to organic you know storytelling is what you, I seem to hear you saying <clears throat> yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Yeah. So, um,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I just wanted to jump in a little bit because I, as someone who's working constantly with, with storytellers and screenwriters, especially, I'm always interested to hear an artist's, like, what is your working definition of story?
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's my working definition of story? man that's like one of those questions like such a hard question
0: yeah
3: um i I guess i would come at it from like maybe this isn't what you want but like um more maybe technical answer um which is for me it's just about a character that has like a super objective so something that they want like over the whole film you know kind of like Mm -hmm. this one thing that they want over their whole life like uh, maybe it's like acceptance from their father or, you know, to, you know, to feel deserving of love or, or something, just something that they want. Um, and like, they're going after that thing and then like, you know, there's like escalating obstacles. Um, so like, op, um, obstacles that keep getting harder and harder and then like, um, like a worthy antagonist, you know, that, that it, it kind of wants, kind of wants the same thing as them. And, but like really like not just, how do I say? like, really could beat them or, or, or could, like, derail them, mm-hmm.
0: um,
3: and then just, like, three-dimensional characters, you know, um, I guess that's not, I feel like you want this, like, beautiful, huh. exotic, like, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> so I'm, I'm, answer, I'm, but, just, um, I'm just, I'm yeah. just, you know, I talk to so many writers and, um, both emerging and, and professional, I'm always, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I just believe that, that whatever the the conscious definition we have of something um, sort of sets in motion the unconscious actions that we take and beliefs that we take with something, and so having uh, a clear definition of the elements of story or craft or screenwriting, I find. I just, I just find that it would be much more beneficial for people who are wanting to enter into the industry or people who are in the industry and wanting to get to the next level. And so I've just been asking everyone and I'm just like, Oh, well, how do you define story and how do you define structure and how do you define dialogue and how do you define plot versus Mm. act and action? And, you know, I've just, I've, I've enjoyed the space in between that question and the answer, Mm. because I, I think sometimes even for like really great artists who've been practicing you know, and really been going from their gut and their artistry for so long that there's a space where they're they're consciously trying to figure out what they unconsciously have been doing or working with. Um, and just as someone who's yeah. fascinated with the way that the brain works, I enjoy that. But I also think that for for those who might be listening, who are interested in, in getting into the industry and being able to make films, um, it's one of the things I find that is most beneficial for them, which is to really sit down and um, after trusting their artistry to have these clear definition of the core craft elements that unconsciously make them more effective storytellers rather than less effective ones.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like where I come from. Like Todd Collins is a professor of mine. And um, uh, I don't know if you know Todd Collins. It is like Happiness, which is like the darkest film for me. <laughs> anyway, um, he does these like really dark, um, dramatic uh, independent films. Um, but they're, like, wildly funny at the same time. Um, yeah, he, he's all about, like, no backstory and just, like, being very kind of, like, active and, like, pushing the story forward. Um, so he... he um, and I, I don't know. I think it's, like, for me, uh, it's, like, a very organic experience. Like, it's all about... I don't know. It's, like, a lot of times you think of what your story is. Like, maybe you, you keep what it's really about but, like, a lot of times you have, like, ideas for it, and then you tell people. And then, the, like, it, 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 as you're saying, you're like, oh, it's terrible. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Or just the, the notes keep coming back, like, oh, this is not working. Like, this, this wouldn't happen. Or, you know? So, for me, also, like, uh, story is, like, super organic. It has to be this thing that, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess if you are, like, a rock star, like, if everyone says this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, and you stick with it, like, I guess there are rock stars like that, but for me, if, like, multiple people say something doesn't work, like, I have to change it, you know? Mm-hmm. Unless it's, like, super important, you know? Like, it's, it's like, really, like, my so- my soul's, like, you know, <laughs> like, the thing that, like, is super important, like, and, you know, because, you have there's so many, it's, it's so long, geez. so it's, so- like, a lot of times, like, certain scenes don't work or certain moments don't work, <clears throat> so it's, like, it's always changing, so mm-hmm. for me, it's, like, really about like rewriting and being adaptable
1: well let's take a specific example of a project you worked on and how that played out uh in a a specific project so uh i'm familiar a little bit with your work so we can just select either like empty playground or one of these other works give us an overview first of some of the projects you've worked on and and you can tell us a little bit about the process of making that film uh the short film and uh and how that that theory that you just mentioned uh played out in that
3: um yeah so um what should I talk about um sorry i'm just bringing something up real quick um so yeah so i guess I ha- i've i made like a lot of short films that were kind of smaller but um like sapat and the short film i made in the philippines was kind of like the one that won the most awards and um did the best and kind of traveled around did really well and um that was a film that was my thesis film and it came from like an idea that my wife just she told me a story about her brother and um her father and um i really wanted to do something about manhood and it was basically that like in the philippines like boys are are circumcised when they're like 10 years old uh 10 to 12 and like that's when like they believe they're like become men it's like kind of like a rite of passage like um uh like when they go through the ritual it's kind of like them like sig- signifying them becoming men so that was a um uh how do i say that was i had wanted to make a film about manhood and i had wanted to um i don't know it's just like i wanted to make it a film in philippines so that was kind of like um my my uh uh how do i say like kind of like my quintessential film
1: I actually forgot your question. <laughs> yeah, so uh, taking the process of um, creativity, you mentioned you're talking a little bit about how you know, you're trying things and um, going through that process of changing. So taking taking that model into a specific example of a uh, project work and how, like, you started with the one idea and maybe it evolved and you got some input yeah. and this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so
3: how so I like the way I I work is I. I try to, especially if I want to make a film about, like, a culture or a topic that I know I had never experienced, like, I try to, which I like to do, because I like to make films where, like, everyone doesn't know it. You know, it's like, it's like you're kind of, like, learning or experiencing something for the first time. So I actually went to a small village um, in Cavite in, in, in a province, and I, like, witnessed one. And, you know, the boys, like, they all, like, jump in the river, and, like, it's really cold, and they get out, and they line up one by one. The guy that does it is, is uh, the the He's he's not really um, like a doctor. He's just kind of like a guy that's been doing this for a while. And I don't, I don't know, they chewed guava leaves, and it, it's actually very very interesting, and uh, it's very safe. And um, but so so I witnessed it. I um, you know there's a lot going on there. <laughs> you know, um, the kids, the the Mungsatuli, the the environment around them, um, and then like they have like parties and they drink and stuff um, afterwards sometimes and um so i had this like big so basically the film the film was about this little boy that um is scared to go through through with it so he's like basically scared to come with him. and um um so i had a scene where after in the beginning of the film he runs away and which is very embarrassing um so i'm sorry i'm like kind of I told this story so many times, so I'm kind of like yeah. going through it so fast. Um, I'll slow down a little, but basically, um, I had a scene. So after he runs away, um, there's a party, there's a big like siesta, and there's boudoir fight. There's like all this like food. There are people eating on like banana leaves with their hands, and um, this long on this long table, and everyone's drinking, and um, the boy, the boy's father is just so embarrassed that. Uh, his son kind of uh, embarrassed him, and the the boy is so embarrassed that he's like kind of failed his father, uh, disappointed his father. Um, so basically, I had to remove that scene um, because like everyone kept coming back to me and saying it's kind of like distracting, and mm-hmm. it's just like this massive thing, you know? It's like not really. Hello? Yeah. Hello.
0: Okay. Yeah.
3: It's like. Um, it's like, it was like, just like this, I got a text message, am sorry. Um, it was like this massive thing that was kind of like slowing down the story. Um, so I felt like it was very emotionally right for the story, but it really was kind of like slowing everything down and kind of like maybe going in a different direction. It was like maybe a little too much local flavor. Mm. So that's an example of like something I loved. And, um, if I do make it into a future film, I'll put it in, but, uh, in a short film, it was, um, it was just kind
1: of too massive. Yeah, sometimes I think that as the creator, we're a little too close to the project. We want to do a lot of things, and we want to get feedback and, uh, outside of perspective. And then, um, but ultimately, you know, I think that, not to give away, I mean, it's a short film, but uh, people should check it out. But um, there was like a spider fight where he learned, I mean, can you tell tell us a little yeah. bit more about how that brings to the conclusion and, and how you uh, decided to do that, or what was the inspiration for that? These you spiders are fighting each other, right, or...
3: Yeah, well, they, it's very common. They play this game called spider fighting where they um, the, the little kids will get uh, a stick and they'll put two spiders on each end. And then just because of instinct, just like predatory instinct, of being close, they'll start fighting. And like, you know, whichever one kind of like gets the web around the other one, like that one wins. So it's mm-hmm. like, I put it in there. Um, yeah, it gets a lot of, like, a lot of people at the festivals and screenings really find that very interesting. Um I put it in there because cockfighting is like a man's sport kind of in the Philippines it's like men's men they drink and they they do cockfighting you know uh mm. sabong so like this was like the children's version of that you know mm. so like a lot of the people that do cock like the men that do cockfighting like when they were younger they did spider fighting so that's why I included that because it's like you know a boy trying to be a man you know things like that so
0: mm.
1: So, um, now to circle back, uh, you know, about the super objectives and, and things that, things that for hero character that the, what you're looking for, uh, if someone were to make a film, you know, fill you out of the film, uh, what would be your super objective? What would be, what, what are you looking for? What do you think is, uh, on your life? I mean, make a film about your life. What do you think is the, um, the thing that you would be pursuing your whole life or what would be the, the super objective for you?
3: I'm not going to tell you. I, I know exactly what it
1: is, but it's uh-huh. embarrassing. <laughs> uh, no, no, Well, a version of it then. Uh, maybe uh, what would be the, um, for a film, uh, the version of the film, you know?
3: <laughs> Why? <laughs>
1: no, just, uh, you know, explore your your uh, personal journey and, and what drives you. Um, I would say
3: acceptance.
1: What was that acceptance? acceptance acceptance yeah yeah, yeah, that's really good, I think that yeah. acceptance uh uh being seen being heard, that's one of the themes of the show uh you know comes up every now and then in, in interviews uh the need or the desire to be seen and heard and, and felt uh you know the 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 power of feeling vulnerable power of um you know redefining we you talk a lot about you know how we define manhood how we define um being an adult or being as opposed to being a child on the show lies come up a couple of times.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's interesting just from a little bit more of an anthropological point of view that, you know, every culture that has been studied, no matter how technolo- technologically advanced or 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 not. Um, one of the first things that ever happens is um, excommunication or, or separation, this like feeling of non belonging, that the ultimate punishment on the most primal level is, you know, to say you do not belong or you are no longer allowed to belong with us, which I think is a, is a form of a lack of acceptance. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's quite a universal one. And I think that most of us, especially of us in the arts, cause I don't think anyone comes to, unless your parents are like artists, mm. but most of us who end up desperately needing to have a presence in the arts, it is because there is this sense of not being seen or not being accepted. And, um, that here we have this this um, wonderful world where we get to reach out and find the other people who are weird like us or where are mm. crazy on our sleeve, as I like to say. Um, so I think that's you know it's a pretty it's a pretty universal one. and And what I'm also pretty curious about about artists because I feel like the first time you start creating, or at least for me, when I first started creating work, it really was just like screaming, and I was just like, I need everyone to hear my pain or I need yeah. everyone to understand. And then you practice it enough. And if you continue on, and especially if you start making a career out of it, you know, usually there starts to be this turning point where you start to intellectualize and understand, you know, not what am I doing for myself with my art, but what am I doing for my audience? And what am I Mm -hmm. doing for other people? And what is the contribution um, that I'm making? Even if that contribution is just, you know, I just want people to laugh. I just want people to have these belly laughs that are so hard that they forget everything that's happening in the rest of their life. And so I'm always interested for the filmmakers that I interact with, Um, is there sort of a a mission statement or this, um, this goal that, that you have that you want to accomplish that seems to run through all of your work or some people think of it as like, um, a moral obligation since they are using the platform that is of television or film, which is the most consumed by our culture. Mm.
1: Yeah. Speaking of artistic vision, like, you know, for me also like, um, you know, story and, 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 uh, the, the compelling factor of the arts have to do with um, working out those enigmatic or problematic areas in, in existence or in our life, and and trying to find pathways or solutions to that work for you. So, in regards to what Jessica was saying about, um, you know, I think that I understand that to mean like, uh, what's the underlying artistic vision you have in you as a storyteller? You know, what your basic concerns are, or you know, territories you like to go into. You're talking a little bit about the question about manhood um, and how that's the essential element or an essential element towards your, your, um, your craft. And, and you want to return to that, but uh, what, tell us a little bit about some of the other stories that uh, you've been exploring or um, uh, how that, how that informs your artistic vision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm,
0: I'm
3: working on two future films now. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I you know, I listened to one of your other podcasts and we talked about like themes or, or like the overarching kind of like what runs across multiple works. And I was like, Oh, I, I should have thought about that like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I kind of like, I, my short film was about manhood. And then my next two films are, are like, um, it's kind of about women. And I was, I'm like, well, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, when, when I, I just listened to one of your podcasts earlier, I was like, oh, the last three years have been, <laughs> like, a lie. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess I do really, um, manhood is, is something that I still, you know, there's a line in 500 Days, I think it's 500 Days, where it's like, it's like, write something that will change your life, or no, that's just a book, no, no, never mind, but um, it's like, um, that's a quote that always stuck with me, I I read it in a screenwriting book, it's like, write something that will change your life, so, I try to pick topics that, like, if I write about them, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, you know. Mm. And it, so I, I, I picked manhood thinking, um, I'll get over this thing with my father. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I did a little bit with my father, but the the manhood thing still lingers. I think insecurity um, is another theme that um, that I definitely still uh, is very raw yeah it's like you you can win all this money in awards and awards and walk the red carpet and like you still feel like like a fake <laughs> you know
2: yeah. yeah well we were talking about imposter syndrome i believe the last time um the last podcast and you know one of the things that i work with with um a lot of my writers because i work a lot on like the the ability to perform the ability to create um you know helping a lot of writers that are already well-known in the industry getting to that next level and getting past the psychological blocks. And, you know, that that one of the things we talk a lot about is, um, you know, this idea of needing validation and that, you know, no amount of external validation will ever, ever heal an internal problem. And I think that's part of what a lot of artists do. I know my first five scripts were... You know, we're definitely about, you know, the relationship I had with my father, even if the characters weren't, you know, male or father figures at all. But it was all just masking me, you know, really asking myself, like, what could I have done um, to have had my father stay around? What could I have done? What would I need to do to feel like I have that sort of unconditional love and respect that I see some people walking around knowing, you know, that they have from from that figure Um, But I've I've experienced enough now and I've definitely made enough pieces of art and won Mm -hmm. enough awards or gotten enough opportunities to realize that, you know, nothing external is ever going to actually like heal that those are just internal wounds that we need to work through. And I actually find that most of that work as artists really does happen in the, the early, early drafts of a piece that, you know, first we write to understand what is this thing inside of us that is unresolved? What is this wound from the past? What is this question that we have? And that is the what I call the structure of the, the artists. And then we have that structure of the writer that we go into in a, in a next draft where we figure out what their story is that is slightly different than ours, where they're playing our story through the plot. you know. And then you have this idea of stepping into an audience and being like, oh, okay, now that I've arced myself, now that I've arced my character – how do i take an audience and you know maybe it took me a year and a half to write this piece but i've only got an hour and 10 minutes to arc my audience um which is where the real craft of it um comes in but but yeah i find you know and especially the ideas of whether you're writing about manhood or womanhood you know the idea of identity and mm-hmm. validation and imposter yeah. syndrome are all in the same wheelhouse and uh, I don't actually think that people need to be consciously aware of what their unconscious uh, themes are. I think they will always happen no matter what. Um, but I would be interested in like, you know, is what is it when your audience sees your films? Like, Like, what do you hope to do for them? Is there one overarching element? Like I know for me, when I first started, I was really like, I want all the weirdos to feel normal and I want all the normal people to feel weird, you know? Uh And, and then that eventually now it's developed into, you know, a a much more heady thing where I'm like, I want to combat unconscious biases of marginalized people through popular entertainment, Mm. which is my current one that I work on. But before it really was like, I want to unnerve the calm and I want to calm the unnerved and I want to give that feeling of normalness to the mate, the, the great amount of people who are not in the norm, but our percentages are actually the same. So I was just wondering if you had sort of a goal or a mission statement like that with your work that you are either consciously working towards, or you feel like maybe unconsciously you've been driving at in your, in your past few pieces. Wow. You
3: have these
0: like
2: really deep, intense questions. Ah, Thank you. Yes, I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately it has to do with the wounding and, and the healing. You know, you're, I mean, maybe these things that you feel are very personal, but when we explore it in story, it seems like then we're in a save zone, we're in an acceptance zone, we're in a seen and heard zone. And how does the meeting ground between our personal healing and the, the story structure or the story formula, if you will, um, is a way to, uh, when we really create combustive uh, elements, you know, and, and having seen, uh, one of your previous works, *The Empty Playground*, dealing with kind of darker areas of 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 sexuality and and of uh in a genre form and a darker areas of um the human psyche and how you explore that and explore that and, and the other film I saw of yours uh, uh I forget the name of it now it used to be *Good Night* but then you change, I think the name title got changed uh I forget the the working yeah. title yeah tell us a little bit about like kind of like maybe to pick uh maybe go into like *The Empty Playground* and how that might have been uh a film that you know you made and you know, this kind of thing and how the process and all that?
3: I really don't want to talk about that show. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind
1: of, de- it's kind of pa- passed <laughs> on Three. for you?
3: 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, a no, little less, less than that. But, um, yeah, what are some lessons not, you learned? Yeah, I'm, writing, I'm writing a new film called Bread in, Bread in Manila. Yeah. And um, I, deal, I deal with a girl that wants to be a billiards champion. Mm. the other, it's you know like cool yeah and um she's incredible you know and um philippines has like the most like world champions like out of anywhere and uh they're, they're, it's it's quite crazy how good they are in philippines um but um her older sister I mean, playing these like dangerous underground gambling matches um so and it's right when the government shifts the drug war to um to also focus on gamblers. So that's kind of like something I've been writing for quite a while. And, um, I guess it still has to do with like trying to please someone, you know, and, um, competition. I think competition is a big thing. It's like really helpful for me guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause I guess I remember spider fighting with, um, uh, with, with pool. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, that film, it came about because, like, I, I just met some people, and they told me their, like, stories, and I was just, like, blown away. Um, and, like, what's going on in the world over there right now is, like, pretty pretty crazy. Um, and, like, I guess family, uh, like, <laughs> my mom's probably listening to this, but... Uh. <laughs> I family, family can also damage you, you know? Um, I think we, like, especially in, like, Italian-American culture, we think, like, family is everything, and we love each other so much. And um, But I, I think also family can be damaging. Not that my mom or dad are damaging, and they're wonderful. But um, just overall, like, the, the idea of family can, can also be destructive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we have our internal perception of what, you know, the expectations of our parents are, and we internalize or we have a reflection of uh, you know, family is nothing uh, out there, but it's, it's actually in our heart and how, you know, our individu- individuation process becoming an adult, we have to then unlearn some of the things we learned as a child. You know, as a child, we learn, you know, to say, you know, to listen, always listen to our parents or, or always follow authority. And then we're becoming, as we grow older, we begin to take our, our own power, our own truth. And that may not always be in line with what we were kind of coached in, in as in childhood. So that that kind of casting away that, shell or that just like a, um, you know certain animals would cast away their skin or the you know in order to develop a new skin so we're kind of shedding off old patterns old modalities and we're kind of creating a new adult version of ourselves that you know and that process of shedding out that old skin may be a little bit uncomfortable maybe a little bit more is a it's a process yeah
2: a little bit uncomfortable yeah. Well, yeah. for me it's certainly been yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot of aches and pains and You know, I often tell people um, I have a few writers who, you know, have kids and and I'm like, listen, I was like, it's not whether or not you're going to mess up your kids. It's Mm. the way you choose to mess up your children, because even if you are the most incredible, amazing parents in the world, you don't know who that kid's going to be yet. And and that might not be right for that child or there's going to be trauma. There's going to be death. There's going to be all these things that um, we will internalize with, you know, with with the memories that we have. And there's even times when a parent has done absolutely nothing wrong. But the internal story of the child, yeah. um, the narrative that happens in our brain and in our in our brains that have like not yet lived enough to understand, you know, so many things in that situation, the, the story we tell ourselves in our heads creates our reality. That reality creates our emotional experience. And then that memory gets encoded into our storage system in our memory under the emotion, not necessarily under anything else. And so we might have this, these files full of like, you know, humiliation, which weren't really humiliation, but that's just the story we told ourselves about at a young time. And I think that's one of the things that is most powerful about storytelling and film in general is that when we go back in and we, we take these, these wounds from our past, and we put them in a new character in a new world through a new plot, Um, it allows us to tell a different story or have a different outcome from the Mm. things that we, we went through. Um, And some of us, uh, you know, and that's, and that's a very healing thing. It's very therapeutic for the writer. Hopefully if it's, if the film is executed in the best way possible, it becomes, you know, healing for the audience. And I think that is the reason why, you know, artists, we are of service to our community. We Mm. are saying, You know, hey, let me do the psychological heavy lifting. Let me go into that part of myself and dig around and for, you know, anywhere from one to 10 years, dive into this repressed part of myself, this buried part of myself, find the universal in it, and then put it into something that the rest of the population could just sit down on their couch or in a movie theater and consume in 13 to two minutes to two hours And that they have some version of that cathartic evolution and that release. And I think that's why artists, that's why we are absolutely necessary, especially now where, you know, Western medicine isn't necessarily, it can take care of a lot of the physical things. But we know that so many of these physical ailments are actually manifestations of emotional and psychological trauma. And at a time where, at least in the West, you know, therapy is extraordinarily expensive and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, you know, it is, it makes me very sad that we are ignoring this part. I think that we are turning to television and movies. And I know so many people who are like their therapy is watching the office for the 17th time because mm-hmm. the sound, just the sound of the, the song calms their nervous system so much because it puts them, you know, in this, this, this safe place where real issues got to be worked through. And especially in that show, like the most negative parts of a personality can find connection and love and safety in a family-like environment. So, um, yeah, just getting back to the idea of family, you know, it is, family can be, is both, I think a very painful thing that drives us to create art, and I think the search for our new family, whether it's our biological family or our chosen tribe, you know, which I speak about a lot. I, I think that is at the heart of, of mm. filmmaking and storytelling.
1: Yeah. I think catharsis and, and, um, the understanding or processing of catharsis in a way that uh, essentializes it and marries it with form is part of the storyteller's mission. He's like the shaman of uh, of modern day, where they go through that journey that personal vision quest, if you will, and then uh, comes back and kind of you know does it doesn't it brings you through it with the in the act structure, like you know this is these are the major emotional points that we're hitting and you know and, and kind of makes it easier the, i think there's a something about a genius make creating a system that anybody can um can can tap into the only you know like um you know the, the genius creates a system that anybody anybody can uh tap into it in a very uh essentialized way in a very easy way you know so talking about that about catharsis and and its its meeting ground with with storytelling you know what do you think about that? Yeah. Bill?
3: Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, do you believe that uh do you believe that or Well, do you believe that um uh storytelling uh has to do with psychological process and and the ability of the characters and and the artists to kind of process emotions or emotional life of the the emotional landscape of the characters and the emotional landscape of the art seems like the characters are always alter egos or always, you know, versions of ourselves or some, you know, type or, or. Yeah. I mean, I always, I
3: always like when, um, I always think it's cool when like, you know, the director and then, or, or I don't know, you, you see what the director looks
0: like or whatever.
3: And you like see a character that looks, looks just like them or, you know, or just has a certain mannerism or like, um, if they use certain words that they use or I don't know. Yeah. I think
2: that's always like pretty cool. Um, I have a question. This is one I'm always fascinated by for people who are in the arts. Um, If you could go back in time and sort of before you, wherever it is you felt like you started to get into a place where you're like, Oh, I get to create my art, you know, in a consistent way. But before that, um, Is there any advice you would give yourself that maybe might be helpful to any listeners who are sort of at that place where they're thinking, do I want to dive into this world? Do I want to dedicate my life or at least the next decade or so of my life to this thing that, you know, is not the most practical or logical? Um, Is there any bit of advice that you wish you had gotten or that you would want to pass on to anyone else who might be in that position?
3: (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about this for like a lot the last almost year because, um, like, I just had a son. My wife and I... Um, Congratulations. And we have, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I've, I've kind of... My life has changed a bunch. And um, so to make money, I I normally direct commercials. And mm-hmm. um, I made a pretty good money for a few years. Um, and then now, <laughs> because just, like, life has been different, it, i've taken away less projects and then the momentum of my film is kind of really i spent three years writing a script and um <laughs> making like an incredible lookbook, and the package is really unbelievable and um like we were 60 percent funded and then it looks like we, it looked like we were going to get the rest and so i was like about to make like half a million dollar you know, in the philippines mm-hmm. and um uh, we, like, lost our, our main funder. And then, <laughs> um, and then like, so the other people didn't, d- you know, don't want to be the first money in. And yeah. then, so it, it just, like, everyone kind of took a step back. For, so I went from, like, spending three years <laughs> of, like, on this project um, to, like, being so close to production. Like, having a production date
0: mm-hmm. and,
3: like, having it, like, being, like, one draft away from, you know. Doing this thing to like almost grab, like like fresh start, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but it does a lot with actually. And
1: then, yeah, go ahead. Say again. Oh, uh, it does a lot with how you process, you know, setbacks and how you kind of are able to or or, or um, think about like uh, how you process and and how you're able to kind of contextualize it as part of the process and and what kind of advice did you give or what have you learned from that. That um, what are you learning from that? That um, might inform future projects. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I guess what I'm saying is, like, um, that was a really long way of saying it. Um, I guess find a way to not like idealize everything and like be like super practical. Mm -hmm. And um, because, like, you know, like film school is pretty expensive. You know, (laughs) Um, if you're going to go to film school and if you're going to like, you know, spend like every single day. If you're, if you're a director, you know, you think all day, every day about film. That's it, you know? Like, oh, is that a good story? Oh, how can this fit into my thing, you know? That's all you do. Um, so if you're going to go down that path, like, really, you got to really think about, like, wow. Like, can I withstand all this failure? <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I actually am at a point where, like, I almost podcast it's like i don't even know if i want to do this anymore so <laughs> uh, but yeah you know you got to regroup and stuff but um it's just it's crazy you know it's, it's really like it's very different than i think it, it actually is with like the real the reality of like raising money like yeah. it's one thing to make a short film you know yeah um like my short film played at the biggest festival in Asia and <laughs> it did really well and like it played all the world and, and stuff and i got flown all over and it was great Um, but like making a film where they're going to give you lots of money, there's just certain things that they want. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, I wish people had gone into like the specifics of like what you have to do to package a film and all all that. Yeah. And, um, the reality of life and things like
2: that. Yeah, no, it's something that I work with, with, uh, I mean, I even have a, an entire lecture I'm doing later in the month. That's like, So you're graduating now, what? which is really just based off of all the things that they don't tell you in film school or in when you graduate with a degree in the arts that like just the networking, the financial side of things, the distribution, like just getting into, you know, like the psychological trauma that is going out into the world um, and putting your art out there. And I can just say that, you know, I've been through that before where, you know, one of my best gigs where I got the paid the most amount of money and it was the most hope high profile. And it was like, I thought it was going to be the film that like launched everything in my career. And it was a very political film. And the entire part of the film was to pass a law. And before, and before they could go into production, the law got passed and the entire project died. Oh my god! And my heart just, you know, yeah. Like I was just like, Oh my God, years of my life. And you know, so many miles flown and, and like the amount of research and, you know, things like that, where it's at the, at that point in time where it can like completely shut you down. Um, the best advice that I can give to people that, you know, that I eventually got around to after I went through about a four month depressed period, um, was just this idea of really validating and recognizing, um, and putting more of a focus on, you know, growth rather than the success. And that feeling of like, I grew so much from that project. I learned how to write action in a way because it was my first big action flick that I ever had to like get involved with. I learned how to work with producers on a level that I never had worked with before. And so even though the project never came about, I, I was like, wow, I took so much away from that. And I am so grateful for it. Also, because it's such a great story that allows me to connect um, and have empathy with other writers. Like I love telling that story because everyone has all, all writers kind of have a story like that Ooh. and it helps have that feeling of connection and building tribe. And so, you know, if you are someone where you're only doing it for the money or the awards, like you will burn out. But if you find that place where, you know, I write or I tell stories because there's just this part of my soul that needs to, and whether people pay me or not, I will continue to do this thing. If you build from that place, I think, that results in the most amount of awesome work with the least amount of trauma.
1: Yeah. So we, we had listened to, um,
3: yeah. uh, Oh yeah. Just like, you know, the other thing about like having a baby is is like, um, having, they're amazing, but like, um, you know, you have rent, then you have to pay your side of everything and then you have to pay for, you know? So it's like, um, I don't know how people do it, but, like, I find, like, these creative projects aren't just not happening anymore because I just, like, I was so close to, like, making a short film in Nepal. Uh, The most unbelievable people, and it was a great story, and I was, I love Nepal, and, like, there were just, the people that were part of it were just major, you know, just, like, major players, and they're so talented, and it was just gonna, everything about it was great, but it's like, how am I, going to spend ten thousand dollars of my own money <laughs> you know right now like over like five years ago i was on a second you know
0: um yeah, yeah but, i
1: mean like,
3: it's just like yeah we gotta start the realities of like these things happen you don't like expect you know i kind of there's another thing i would have wished i learned was like uh don't spend that money on like stupid short films like i <laughs> spent so much money on like short films that were like kind of like like crap you know like um save that money, like put it, put it on the ground somewhere or like, put it in the bank account. Cause like when you, when you're younger, you have that money. Um, I, it depends on where you are, but, um, now it's like every cent is like important, you know?
2: Yeah. I think it, it, to sum that up in a really good way is just knowing that know what you want the project to do in the long run and how it serves you in the long run, not just in the short run is, is probably the best yeah. thing. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Good, good. So, thank you so much. We got to start wrapping up. But um, uh, we listened to Redbone by Charles Gambino in the beginning of the um, uh, broadcast. And um, uh, I just want to say that Radio for Brooklyn is a um, is sponsored by Truth to Power Show and Radio for Brooklyn. Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you, so to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps us continue stay on air, so please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax-deductible full both sent to law. Again, this is readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate, and also you can go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power to find our archives, uh, listen to older episodes, or sponsor this show uh, to help uh, defray... Um, Uh, operating expenses or managing expenses Um, if you're listening to Ready for Brooklyn on your computer you can uh, download the apps at Brooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android yeah so we we air on Mondays at 8 a.m rebroadcast on Thursdays at 9 a.m Eastern Standard Time Um, and last note is that Healing Headbands Fundraiser is happening on 5-7 on May 7th Uh, laughter is the best medicine so join Healing Headbands Project uh, the second annual Arts Heals Fundraiser at May 7th at 630 at LIU, LIU's Till Center and Laugh Create Heal. Uh, get your tickets today at HealingHeadbands.com. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Phil. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your personal journey. Thanks, Jessica. Wait, wait I just want to uh, say, uh, You go ahead, yeah. Mom
3: dad, mom, dad, Karen, Lucas, I love you guys. Uh, don't don't get down with all the negative
1: stuff that, that I say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just all part of the process so uh we'll be listening to uh another song as we go out uh that you selected uh Phil selected uh post Malones uh congratulations so uh we'll go out with that and uh hope you guys will tune in uh next week at uh, Mondays at 8 a.m on org. thank you thank you Phil
2: Bye, everyone thank you
4: it was great. My mama calls, see you on TV. Son, said shit don't change. Ever since we was on, I dreamed it all. Ever since I was young, they said I will not be nothing. Now they always say congratulations. Work so hard, forgot how to vacation. They ain't never had the dedication. People hate and say we change changing. Look, we made it. Yeah, we made it. That was never friendly, yeah. Now I'm jumping out of Bentley, yeah. And I know I sound dramatic, yeah. But I knew I had to have it, yeah. For the money, I'm a savage, yeah. i you mean, itching like I had it, yeah. i around surrounded 20 bad yeah. But they didn't know me last year, yeah. Everyone want to act like they important. But all that mean nothing when I saw my door, yeah. Everyone counting on me, drop the ball, yeah. Everything custom like I'm at the bottom, yeah, yeah. If you fuck with winning, put your lightest to the sky. How could I make sense when I got millions on my mind? Coming with a bullshit, I just put it to the side. Bought a sense of baby, they could see it in my eye. My mama calls, see you on TV. Sunset shit done change. Ever since we was on, I dreamed it all. Ever since I was young, they said I will not be nothing. Now they always say congratulations. Congratulations. Went so hard, forgot how to vacation. They ain't never had the dedication. People hate and say we're changing. Look, we made it. Yeah, we made it. I was patient. Yeah. Oh, I was patient. Hey. Oh. Now I can scream. Now, everywhere, everywhere I go, they say, congratulations. Young nigga, young nigga, graduation. I pick up the rock and I ball, baby. I'm looking for someone to call, baby. But right now, I got a situation. Uh. Never old, been, Ben Franklin, Big rings, Champagne. champagne. My life.